This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. I am Ben Bolin and Scott. We're pretty lucky today. Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> no, uh, we seriously, we are pretty lucky because in uh, if this podcast were trained, uh, we would easily be delayed for several hours before we started. <laughs> I don't know. What? What is this? You're attacking the subject. I can't believe it. I'm not attacking the subject. I'm attacking a stereotype of the subject. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, because uh, unfortunately, Ben, I think mm-hmm. there's. Kind of a negative twist on all this. There is. Let's go ahead and tell everybody, Scott. Let's let this cat out of the bag uh, because we are going to cover some stuff about Amtrak today. And just from the jump, listeners, please note, uh, all of it is true. Not all of it is good. That's right. Yeah, there's there's some good to it. There's some good. But uh, a lot of the bad stuff comes in when you're talking about some of the funding. Mm-hmm. Some of the dollar amounts that we're talking about, because uh, I heard some stuff just today, and we'll get to that too. But, yeah, uh, a little bad news on the on the radio. Uh, Anyways, you want to get into the, uh, the, yeah. the history of Amtrak, and I mean, I'm sure most mm-hmm. people know what we're talking about, right? I mean, I, I would right. think Amtrak is a for-profit uh, service. Actually, Amtrak is technically known as the National Railroad Passenger Corporation. Now, it operates uh, passenger rail, passenger trains. Um, in 46 of our states, uh, it also, you know, it also goes in DC and they've got service in Canada. Mm-hmm. And they have been work, uh, Amtrak was created uh, in 1970 by Congress when they passed the Rail Passenger Service Act. Now that's, that's kind of weird because, um, they, this move itself was sort of a, um, an attempt to save passenger rail because before this time, um, when U.S. train travel was one of the only consistently reliable ways for a private individual to make it across the country without resorting to a horse or a wagon, yeah. uh, then or 
dangerous roads, which we talked about too, um, they, they, a lot of people would travel on these freight railroads for passenger service, but these services were not very profitable for the railroad companies. And we started to see a decline in service. So in the 1970s, when Congress uh, created Amtrak, it was to take over passenger service from the railroad companies. Now, once they created this in 1970, the next year, 1971, uh, Amtrak is incorporated in D.C., and it's supposed to uh, take over the passenger carrying obligations of private railroads. Okay. Can I stop you here for just one second? Stop me here. Um, this is one of those things that I, w- I was shocked to learn that Amtrak had only been around since 1971. Yes. I, I don't know why, but I just had the impression. Now, of course, that that happens to be the year I was born, 1971. Now, I, it's been around my whole life. Okay. I had the impression that this was a company that had been around since, I don't know, the 1920s, 1930s. Sure, I big just, railroad expansion company. I, I felt that that was the case with this one. I, mm. I just didn't know that it had a relatively recent start. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that, was, uh, that was surprising to me. And it's also, let's see, and it's doing, well, I don't want to say it's doing pretty well, but it has over 500 locations. Uh, and it also has, let's see, let me get to where. Yeah, be careful about the uh, doing well thing. Don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By doing well, I mean they're still running. Yeah, but still we'll, there. We'll get, we'll get there. We'll get okay, there. Okay. Um, all right. So Amtrak right now, or not right now, but they have more than twenty thousand uh, route miles, and those are mostly on. See, freight carriers still own a lot of the rail. Okay. And Amtrak is just using it to provide this passenger service. Um, now the just for. Um, a kind of a snapshot of how many people ride these vehicles. Uh, in 2001, uh, there were over 3.7 million travelers at Philadelphia's 30th Street station alone. So one station, one year, over 3 million, almost 4 million travelers. Really? Right, which is, you know, kind respectable. of... Respectable. Yeah, it's respectable, and it's sort of a... Uh, it's a number that we forget um, sometimes when we talk about... A lot of the other Amtrak numbers. Yeah. Um, now, before we get into the real juice, the real red meat of this, um, one uh, one or two words about who is in charge of Amtrak. Amtrak has a board of directors, and there, there are seven of them. They each get appointed for five years by the president with Senate, you know, like how the president can nominate a judge – uh, on advice and consent of the Senate, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same way. The president always elects uh, or appoints the Secretary of Transportation as one of the board members. Now we're going to segue into these numbers that Scott and I keep talking about. Uh, the Federal Railroad Administration um, supplies some support to the Secretary of Transport and other board members. Uh, and the Railroad Administration is also in charge of administering federal grants to Amtrak. Now, Scott, you've you've got some numbers on this. Yeah, right? I do. Okay, here's the here's the scoop on this, and this is why I said it's it's not all good news, really. Um, the, here's the thing, Ben. Way back in 1971, when this all started, mm-hmm. uh, it was supposed to be a, a two-year federal undertaking to revive and hopefully save. Um, you know, the, the inner city rail and passenger service in the United States. Okay. Yep. Um, this is, Congress awarded them 
grants of $40 million for operations and $100 million for new equipment, okay? And it's, again, it's supposed to be a two-year federal undertaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, um, the, the, so it was supposed to be self, completely self-supporting after those two years. That was the plan, right? Right. That's the plan. Well, you and I know that this year, now this is what I, what I heard today when I turned on the radio, mm. that I, I, I went out to lunch and I turned on the radio and the very first sentence that I heard today, uh, just pure coincidence, uh, they were talking about budget and deficits and, you know, what they're trying to mm-hmm. cut out of the federal budget. The, the thing that they mentioned was trying, they're trying to cut $400 million out of the budget from Amtrak alone. Um, so we're still giving them at least that much. I didn't look into the numbers for this year, but it, they're, they're trying to cut 400 million from Amtrak, uh, which they called, and their words, not mine, a huge money pit. The money pit. The money pit. And, uh, so you can imagine that, you know, that we're now at 40 years. Mm-hmm. Of of tax pun, uh, taxpayer funding of Amtrak in, in in a sense. I mean, we've got quite a bit of of money has gone to them over the years, and I can kind of go through this if you want. Lay it on um, me, man. Okay, let's see. This is uh, starting around. Let's see, nineteen. Well, we talked about the first two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the four hundred or forty million dollars uh, for operations, hundred million for new equipment, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not the first time we've had to to do that. But um, in '73, there was something called the OPEC oil crisis. Remember that? That actually drove up um, transportation. This was actually a good time for Amtrak, and you would right. think that you know this would help uh, you know get them back on the right track, so to speak. Yes. But um, how long was it going to be before we said something like that? Get them on the right track. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So Congress gave, but by 1974. Uh, Congress gave Amtrak another $179.1 million in grants and another $100 million in loans. Wow. And in 1976, Congress authorized $1.9 billion over five years to rebuild and improve uh, tracks and facilities. Oh, one note? Yeah. We've hit our first B in funding, our first yeah, that's, billion. That's right. And this is all the way back in 1976. So that's 1976 dollars. Mm-hmm. 1.9 billion dollars uh, over five years to rebuild. Um, uh, so let's see. That now, I guess between 1971 and 1975, if you want to go back a little bit, um, yeah. uh, Amtrak had 900 million dollars in loans given to them. Um, and let's see, the average revenue. This is this is where it was supposed to balance out. Right. 252 million. So that's less than 40 percent of its operating costs at that point. Um, the Carter administration wanted it to, uh, wanted them to cut costs and, you know, get the yeah, efficiency up, of right. course. Uh, but by the 1980s, um, you know, when the Reagan administration was around, uh, they wanted to make cuts again. And, um, the thing is, it was cheaper to buy an airline ticket at that point. Mm-hmm. So let's say if you're going to fly from, or you're going to, you're going to take a train from New York to Chicago, um, it would actually cost the taxpayer less, the taxpayers less. Yeah. If, the government was to hand out airline tickets at that point to every passenger that is now taking the train because of the dollars that we're, we're sinking into uh, train travel. Which made some opponents of the Amtrak program and, and rail in general, passenger mm-hmm. rail in general, let's be honest, allege that this company was indeed a scam track. <laughs> oh, Ben. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do you see a my post? Yeah, I see it. You got a few there, don't you? I showed this to you downstairs. Yeah, I know. You got to, uh, you got to work those in somehow. Okay. Anyway, yeah, sorry. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry we're going on with these bad numbers here, but this is just the, the, these are the facts. Yeah, this is the way it goes. And I'm sure that there are good times along with this, but mm-hmm. this is kind of the, uh, the road we're taking here. So, um, trying to tie into today's news, really, the one that I heard right. on the radio. Right. Um, 
So then, of course, there's the uh, air traffic controller strike, and that was when um, you know trains were actually a little bit more valuable again. Yes. So we had the uh, the OPEC crisis, we had the air traffic controller strike, uh, but by the late 1980s, Amtrak was uh, let's see, they had 1.2 billion dollars in revenues, which is pretty good, right? Because um, they went up from what did I say earlier, the average revenue was 250. around 252. They're up to 1.2 billion dollars in revenue, which Nothing is good. To sneeze at. Yeah, but the operating costs were over two billion dollars at that point, so they're they're never quite in the black here. Um, uh, federal grants uh, up to 221 million dollars in 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, two million dollars in and then again two million dollars in 1986. Uh, it's just it. I've got a number that's gonna blow your mind. Dude. Sure. Are you ready? Yeah. I don't want to leapfrog you. Well, uh, where are you going to go? What year? I'm going to go to the future. How far? The the uh, the, the big one, the, the big... newest plan. Oh, yeah. okay. Go ahead. Are you sure? Yeah, sure. Can you catch up? Yeah, Just sure. okay. So part of the uh, part of the 129 billion dollar transportation budget. Billion with a B. Billion with a B. That's for Benjamin. Either one. Uh, now this. Uh, this budget, this $129 billion number, uh, is for the U.S. Department of Transportation General. So, uh, how much of this is going to high-speed rail? Well, over fiscal year 2012, there's going to be $8 billion going to fiscal rail. And over six years, there's going to be $53 billion, as in Benjamin's, uh, to build a nationwide high-speed rail network. Oh, boy. So this thing has had some issues, I think is the nicest way to say it, um, as a for-profit company, right? And this is the current plan, is to basically, essentially trying to revitalize high-speed rail yeah. for passengers. It's the same thing that we tried to do in 1970. We've talked about this, haven't we? We've talked about high-speed rail and some of the problems associated with Said rail, right? The enormous cost it, of the infrastructure. The costs are unbelievable. I mean, you got people, uh, I think the government in, uh, in, uh, Florida turned down $25 billion in grants, in federal grants to build a high speed rail because they didn't want to deal with the upkeep afterwards. Yeah. Because yeah, the cost massive. of, the cost of maintenance and, and, mm-hmm. and just the, the, the fact that it probably wouldn't be used. That's, that's true because when we talk about Building rail infrastructure, even if that enormous cost is transferred effectively, somehow gone through the system effectively, um, it's still going to choke up the system. It's like when a snake eats a really big animal it shouldn't have messed with. You know, it's going to, it's going to have a definite economic effect. And the idea is that this will, over the long term, have a, a very beneficial economic effect for a large group of people. And that argument, um, there is, uh, there, there's evidence to back that claim up in other countries. But again, for people who've listened to our high speed rail podcast, one of the big differences between the United States and a lot of other countries that have such effective and uh, ubiquitous uh, rail systems is that the United States is huge by comparison. Yeah. And you know what? One thing that one, one uh, argument against it here in the United States is that um, it's just not 
our our cities aren't planned the, the right way for something like this to really work. Mm-hmm. We've we've spread out into suburbs and and the populations are so spread out. Uh, sure, there's a massive population in in major cities. Sure, but uh, look at a city like Los Angeles that's spread out over miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. Look at um, look here at Atlanta. Look how far the uh, the Atlanta metro area is spread out. Sure. Uh, you can't make one or two um, high speed rail stops that are convenient for everybody to get to. Um, it's just not set up the same way as it would, you know, like a European system or mm-hmm. a, um, an Asian system works. Uh, it's just, it's, it's not as, uh, uh, just, it's not as possible, not as, uh, not as feasibly, po- I don't know how to say this the right way, I guess. It's fiscally feasible. Yeah, I guess, I guess. I'm saying that, uh, almost physically possible, really. Yeah. Uh, it just, the, the possibility of getting to the stations, it's just more of a headache to get to the station to get on the train than mm-hmm. it is to just head whatever direction you're going anyways, unless you're heading across the country, in mm-hmm. which case it still doesn't make really much sense. And there's also this thing, uh, with, uh, getting the right of way for the tracks. Um, right. It, it was, is that, is that eminent domain? Is that eminent right? domain. Yeah. But it's a, it's a hugely controversial property rights of issue. Of course, of course. You're going to be going over properties. You're going to be taking, you know, you're going to be buying out people, mm-hmm. uh, farmland, whatever it is. Um, it, it's very, very expensive. And then also, uh, well, let's just take a second and, and I, I want to make sure everybody knows, uh, we're, we're being honest about Amtrak. We, we're not doing a hit piece on Amtrak. No, no, um, not by any means. I think what it sounds like we're both saying is one of the problems that we're seeing here with the funding or trying to build that sort of infrastructure is that this is a top-down approach. And maybe uh, what is more appropriate would be building uh, city and then regional and then intercity hubs so that you have pieces to connect because it's a lot easier to connect existing things than it is to build something new and try to – Try to do it from a centralized uh, location. Okay, I've got a different view of this, but you, uh, you probably would guess this anyways. Lay it on I'm, me. I'm such a huge fan of personal transportation. Yes. Of course. But yes. um, honestly, I, I tell you, the United States and the way the way that I see it, it's just not set up for mass transit the way other places are. We're, right. we're just not we're not built for that. We were made for I mean this is goes all the way back to the uh the the, the bus scandal or what was the name of it? The, the oh, trolley the, cars. The, yeah, the electric uh, trolley cars. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um I, I forget the name of it exactly, but um yeah, this, this goes all the way back to that where you know we decided that we were going to build an infrastructure of highways and, and mm-hmm. roadways and and uh, personal transportation was going to be the way for us to get around. Right. Um, we we eliminated our early attempts at something like you know mass transit, something sure. that, that may have worked at the time, uh, we've kind of we've we've gone past that point. I, th- I don't know if it's possible to to overlay that on top of what we've already got. Right after we've spent billions of dollars in decades, yeah, um, you could even say hundreds of billions of dollars. I think in decades, uh, working toward a private vehicle infrastructure. Yeah, but at the same time, we're pouring hundreds of well. Billions and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I don't know an exact number, but yeah. billions and billions of dollars on the existing train system that we've got. Uh, this Amtrak service, right. the service, I should say. Yeah. Uh, of course, we need trains for freight and you know mm-hmm. whatever else we need for. But um, I, I just don't. I don't know if we're. It's it's possible, like I said, to overlay a a high speed rail system on top of the the extensive interstate system that we've already got. And that's yeah. that's just the main point here in my mind. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get people that, are, you know, say that, you know, 
were full of it and you know that that it would work and here's why um i'd like to hear their their opinions yeah i'd like um, to there's like there's to there's a back and forth about this all over the place i mean you'll you'll find mm-hmm. pro and con in every article you read about this mostly yes but um you know i my personal belief is that it's just going to be a tough integration and also let's not forget that if this sort of infrastructure is implemented which which we see um, people attempting to do mm-hmm. on local, regional, and federal levels. But if this infrastructure does eventually become uh, a real thing, I mean, let's be honest, if it, if it really does reach the levels that are, are, are spelled out in the legislation, then Amtrak is probably still going to be the nominal primary mover there, right? I would think so. Yeah, they're they're the ones we've been uh, entrusting this type of travel to for 40 years at this point. Right. And they have yet to turn a profit. Uh well, yeah, they? I think Did they, they profit. I think that they uh, uh maybe maybe not. I think I've got numbers here for 1996. Okay. Uh, where they had a uh maybe not. Nope, sorry. Because it's their it's it's their expenses versus their revenues, right? Yeah, yeah. Like in 2007, their expenses exceeded their revenues to the tune of around one billion dollars. Oh boy! So it's so a billion dollar loss. Yeah, and there's there's this huge there's a lot of controversy about um, railroad accidents that occur with Amtrak. You know, mm-hmm. we've we've heard a lot about that. Um, I've got a, a quick stat here. Uh, so from 2000 to 2003, uh, there was a, an average of um, between 60 to 80 deaths, um, fatalities involving wow. casualties by by railroad. So that's uh, that's not the same as highway rail crossing incidents mm-hmm. where you would like cross in a car and get hit. Sure, um, that number averages between. For about forty and seventy over mm. uh, per year over those years, and I've got a I've got a list of big Amtrak accidents, but I'm not really going to I'm not going to read no. all of them. You know what, Ben? I'm no. feeling kind of bad that this is. Uh, I know I that, feel like we're kicking it while it's. I, I really I really don't mean to do that. Um, yeah, because I. I I mean, geez, I, there's something really romantic about being able to take a train across uh, across the country mm-hmm. and see the entire countryside. I mean, it's got its good points for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's great if you don't have have to be there immediately, like if you're taking a plane. Sure. Um, it's probably more comfortable travel than being in your car, I would guess. And definitely more comfortable than a coach seat on a plane. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, for sure. But um, like my grandparents had taken a train ride up to Alaska mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, really enjoyed that. That was uh, a nice country to see. Yeah. Um, I haven't taken long train rides, but shorter train rides, and I've always enjoyed it. Yeah, that's the thing. I really want – now, you know, I really want to have uh, rail options – in cities, mm-hmm. um, I, I am kind of on the same page with you about national rail for the United States. Just the distances and the money and the legislation involved are—they're very daunting. But inside of a inside of a city, um, I think it's very feasible. You know, we've got some public transit ideas people are cooking up here in Atlanta. But also, when it comes to Amtrak, I, I really do want to ride it. I want to I want to check it out. And um, now. 
I might get some hate mail from this for both sides of the aisle for saying it. I want to be able to ride on Amtrak while it's still here. Now that immediately, I know there are going to be some people who are opponents of Amtrak or do not support it who say that it will never go away because it's a, uh, it's a pork shed basically. But then there's going to be a second group of people who are saying that you guys are saying terrible things about Amtrak. Um, we're the, the facts may not be pretty. But they are the facts. Yeah, the facts are what they are, and uh, I agree with you. I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to take a train ride. I, I, you know, like we said, you know, it, it has to be one of those situations where you don't have to be anywhere really fast, right? Um, and also, you know, you, you pay for it, of course, like you would an airline ticket or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you t- pay for any form of travel. You pay for fuel in a car. You pay for fuel in a seat on a plane. You pay for um, pay for a train ride. You pay for a boat ride, everything else. So, um, you know, it's understandable that they charge what they do mm-hmm. and, and why they do it. Um, but, like, I don't know if it's just it's just not the, the most effective form of travel for for us right now. I yeah, mean, as I, it stands. Yeah, I mean, you get, you get three days off of work or whatever, you know, on a, on a weekend and you want to go somewhere, uh, somewhere nearby. You don't necessarily want to get on a train and, and spend one entire day traveling there. You might want to get on a plane and make it a couple of hours. Yeah, that's, you know what, that's one of the uh, primary arguments I do have. I, I was thinking, Scott, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to close out with this because I was thinking of reasons why we would continue to fund Amtrak. Like, mm-hmm. what what explains it? And you know what I thought of? Uh, I started thinking of food subsidies in Western Europe because, you know, that's a huge issue there that a lot of Western European governments spend huge amounts of money um, fighting in the EU for how food is subsidized and supporting their local growers. And it took me a second to think of it, but the, it's not so much – or it, it's not um, – they're not subsidizing it just for the profits of their voters. They're also subsidizing it because if something goes wrong uh, in a country, it needs to be able to domestically produce its own food. Sure, self-sustaining. Right. And so with the rail, the Amtrak funding and the infrastructure, it could possibly be a strategic concern on the part of our government. Like what what would you do if something was Wrong with the highways. There's you need an alternate route of transportation. Now it's not the best argument, but I do think there are some possible strategic advantages to keep it running. Not a bad link. Not not a bad link, but we'll see if I'm right or wrong about that, depending on what happens to Amtrak over the next six years. Yeah, I'm interested too. I want to find out where uh, where all this goes because right now uh, it kind of hangs in the balance. I know uh, they're talking about budget cuts and and what what may or may not happen and how the funding is going to go for uh, this this high speed rail system if it will or will not happen. Right. Um, that's the big decision right now. So we'll see. Because other other uh, let us not forget that other presidents and other Congress uh, sessions have tried before. That's right. Uh, not just here, but in multiple countries, high speed rail is a very difficult thing to do. All right, Scott. Uh, I'm I'm about tapped out so i just want to say that one of the clever puns i didn't get to make in this podcast was jam track which i was going to use to describe a party on a train jam track jam track um thank you man kind of hipster lingo you know i do these for you um (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and head out guys we've given you um our look a really quick look at some of the challenges Amtrak is facing, some of the stories about how Amtrak got started and what it does. Now, we want to hear your opinions now. Um, most importantly, I think, Scott, I think I know what you want to hear. 
which is, tell me if I get this wrong, um, does Amtrak have a place, a future in the modern United States? If yes, why? If no, why not? Uh, you can contact us and tell us about that on Twitter. Uh, you can tell us about that on Facebook. You can drop a line at our blog. Or, as always, you can email us directly at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. If you're committed to living a healthier life, you might want to look into working herbs into your wellness routine. There's a reason people have trusted them for thousands of years. Nature's Way understands that nature is the ultimate problem solver, and they're constantly inspired by the power of nature. For example, their ginger root and slippery elm bark have been traditionally used for digestive support. And St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support. And because Nature's Way sources from around the world and does a ton of comprehensive potency and quality testing in their state-of-the-art lab, you can be sure you're getting top-quality herbs. To learn more, visit naturesway.com.